Agrippa, is it true that uh, Santa Carla is the murder capital of the world? Well, there are some bad elements around here. Wait a second, let me get this straight. Are you telling me that we moved to the murder capital of the world? Are you serious, Grandpa? Well, now let me put it this way. If all the corpses buried around here was to stand up all at once, we'd have one hell of a population problem. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. What's your name? Star. I'm Michael. Michael's great. I like Michael. Where are you going, Star? Just you! Come on! Just you! How far are you willing to go, Michael? Bring some of this, Michael. Be one of us. You're creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. Get yourself a good, sharp steak. Try to break your time. We gotta stick together, Sam. We gotta stick together, bro. Initiation's over, Michael. Time to join the club. Now you know what we are. Now you know what you are. You'll never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. But you must feed. MTV was a movie, I think, to be Lost Boys. It's a kind of 90-minute music video, basically, um, from from like the height of 80s pop culture. That was kind of just a, a manifestation of 80s cool. Um, it, it took the like the 80s um, it, it took the 80s staple of, of what I like to call kids in kids on bike films. You know the 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 films where these seemingly uh, these kids with seemingly you no know, adult supervision are just running around on their bikes and solving problems and saving the day. It kind of took that and it made it more adult and R-rated, and added like you know some vampire sex appeal and some gore and and, and some rock and roll and and of course it also added the two, the two Corys, which you know is about as eighties as it gets. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm your host Jinx and that was Mark H. Harris talking about Joel Schumacher's 1987 horror film, The Lost Boys. Mr. Harris runs BlackHorrorMovies.com, a website which delves into the portrayal of black people in horror films. In addition, he's written for such entertainment sites as Vulture, About.com, and Pop Matters. And he made an appearance in Horror Noir, that fantastic Shudder documentary from earlier this year. Mr. Harris, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Now, as with every episode, I'll ask, out of any horror movie you might have chosen to discuss, why uh, why go with The Lost Boys? Well, uh, since I run a site called Black Horror Movies, I figured I'd, I'd go against type and pick the whitest horror movie I could think of. There's <laughs> 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 like not a hint of melanin anywhere in this movie. But, um, but really, you know, I, I, I just... It really came out at a time I was 13 years old, and I just it, it was one of the first movies that really got me into horror movies. Um, it was one of the first 
movies that I ever owned on VHS. When I was a kid, I had like maybe four movies on VHS. It was The Lost Boys, uh, Fright Night, Aliens, um, and like Die Hard, and and, um, one more, uh, The uh, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. I don't know if you've seen that one, but that's not a horror movie, but it's it's kind of like the... uh, the black equivalent of the Lost Boys was in that it's kind of just epitomizes 80s uh, hipness. But it was more about like breakdancing and kung fu <laughs> as opposed to vampires and rock and roll. That movie was on constant rotation for me as a kid. I used to take karate classes when I was about seven years old. So that movie was the coolest <laughs> movie on the planet for the longest time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was the Shogun of Harlem. I still quote him to. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I uh, I have kind of a strange, uh, I don't know, roller coastery relationship with Lost Boys. I remember first watching the movie at a uh, at a friend's house when I was like seven or eight years old, and I wasn't a horror fan at that young of an age. And uh, so seeing something like that was kind of you know pretty eye opening. I'd never seen anything quite like it. And I remember us watching that movie something like four times in a row that night. And um, but I don't remember revisiting it for years after, but my feeling was that the movie was a total classic, right? You know, just an amazing movie. And then uh, then I rewatched it in college with a couple of film school pals, and we're checking it out as kind of a bit of a break from the usual diet of art house stuff, and they started poking fun at it, so I started poking fun at it. And, you know, I, I guess I just remember thinking that it was such a bad movie at that point. It was so terrible and so 80s and so, you know, so very beneath a lot of the other movies that I was a fan of at that point. Uh, and even though I'd, I'd like to think that I'm not that much of a snobby asshole anymore, you know, those feelings on the movie kind of remained over the years so much so that, uh, if I'm being honest, when you pick this movie to chat about, my initial reaction was kind of like, aw. But then I rewatched it and... I had a blast with it. It was like being a kid again, seeing it for the first time. And I was like, what the hell was wrong with me? This movie is great, you know? Yeah, it's funny. Like, uh, I watched it for the first time the other day for probably, in probably like 15 years or so. Like, I, when I was a kid, you know, like, I watched it like 20 or 30 times because we didn't even have cable when I was a kid. So all we had was VHS and, and, and you know, the four channels. So I... I watched it so many times, and then watching it this now as an adult, it's kind of, I realize how hard it is to be objective about something that you were so close to as a kid. So it's like, I'm like, okay, I, I'm watching it, and realize everything that I loved about it is still there, and I still enjoy it, but I'm wondering if I saw it today for the first time, if I would think the same thing about it. Like, it was so 80s that it's like, you have to be a child of the 80s to really enjoy it, to really appreciate it. Or, <laughs> you know, well, well, kids today watch it and be like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing ever. Because <laughs> I, can, I can see either way, frankly. Because, I, I mean, I, I, like I said, I had a food with it. And, but I can also see sort of the campiness of it, like the, the, the mullets and the, the clothes and the dangly earrings and the, the, the music was like, at, at the time, I thought the music was just so cool. I bought the soundtrack and everything. But, uh, it, you know, it was really like poppy and just like glam rock type stuff. And, and the vampires look like glam rock gypsies and stuff. <laughs> it's like, I don't really know. It's hard for me to really take it 
objectively. I, I'd, I'd have to like talk to somebody today who's like watching it for the first time to really see what what they think of it. Yeah, you know, you touched on something really interesting there that I was thinking about watching the movie again. And, and you are right. The movie is so, so very 80s. It may be the most 80s movie that ever 80s. Uh, you know, the clothing and the music and the lighting and the hair. Uh, you know, and I'm somebody who, you know, I, I don't hate the 80s, but 80s style doesn't always equate to a great deal of uh, nostalgic love for that decade. You know, I grew up in the 80s and it didn't impress me all that much as a kid. You know, I still adore the 90s, though. But uh, but even forgetting nostalgia and its effects, you know, I, you know, I love this movie as a kid. I damn near hated it. Uh, as a young man, and now that I'm, uh, uh, good God, uh, now that I'm middle-aged, I I find that I really enjoy the film again, and who knows how I will feel about it again in another decade, and it's funny that it took this movie for me to really start thinking about how certain films are really kind of like these living things that change over the years, even though it isn't really the films, it's us, but still, it makes them seem kind of alive in a weird way and in, in that how they can change for you over the years. And I'm trying to recall what other movies I have a similar relationship with. And I, how about with you? Can you think of any films that have changed sort of back and forth in your eyes over the years? Well, one thing that sticks out in my mind that I don't know if you'd call it back and forth is just like it, it just went back once. <laughs> but, but I remember seeing in the theater, I saw Crow. I don't know if you remember that movie in the theater, like when I was, I was probably 10 or something like that. And I was like, Oh, this is so cool. This is just, you know, this little spinning disc thing or like star thing he throws. And I don't even really remember the plot per se, but I just thought it was the coolest thing. And then as an adult, like, I don't know, I was probably like in my twenties or 30 or so. And, and, I went back and I watched it. I was like, "Oh my god, this is <laughs> this is terrible. This is like mystery science theater level of bad." And, and I haven't watched I it again since I was like, a kid, wow, so I'm how... scared now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, just cheesy beyond belief. And I was like, I can't believe that my mind was so, so like clouded back then, or or just, I, I mean, I guess you know, as a kid, just I guess anything that had a certain level of uh, a certain veneer of uh, coolness, I guess you just, you wrapped your mind around, but like, I don't know. I, I kind of think that whatever decade you're in, when you're like maybe 12 or so, that is when that like the, the be cool to you. It's like if you were 12 in the nineties, and you think, oh, all the 90s stuff was cool. And then if you're 12 in the 80s, like I was, and all the 80s stuff was cool. It seems to be like, in my mind, the age when, like, you just soak up everything and just everything is like, you're just looking for something to, like, define your, your level of cool. Because you're, you're going into teenage years and stuff. You go into high school and you're like, oh, gosh, I got to find my identity. I got to find something that I can attach to. So that's kind of in my mind what... what um, you know, what we define is, is something to, to look up to when we're that age. Now you're totally right. And it's funny, you know, I mentioned the nineties a minute ago. I was, uh, when I was 12, it was 93. So, you know, of course all the stuff that I love is, uh, you know, like alternative music, like grunge, uh, the crow I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, kind of like goth culture in the mid nineties. Uh, 
you know, that was a fun time to grow up and sort of uh, become a film and horror fan. And, uh, well, maybe not so much horror in the early 90s. It was kind of a, uh, a wasteland there for a few years. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I know yeah. <laughs> entirely what you mean. But it is fun to go back. And, uh, you know, there there are, much like with you and Krull, there are certain films that I remember loving as a child that I wound up uh, – really disliking later on and now that i've revisited the lost boys and found that i loved it again maybe i'll uh, give another couple of movies a a, a shot again maybe a third shot as it were uh like uh i don't know i remember loving flight of the navigator uh as a kid and then seeing it again many years later and thinking "Eh," you know and uh certainly a lot of kids movies uh i'm just so glad that the monster squad holds up uh that would that might have broken my heart if I'd mm-hmm. grown up and revisited that film and it wound up being terrible. Fortunately, I think it's still pretty great. But uh but yeah. I'm just I'm just glad I have the Lost Boys back. So thank you for choosing that movie and giving me a reason to give it another shot because uh yeah, I'm definitely back on its side now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, I the Monster Squad was one that I I I haven't watched for a long time actually myself. I I, I remember watching it and I remember liking it. I didn't love it like some people did but um i do remember liking it like i said it's one of those quote-unquote kids on bike movies that, that they loved in the 80s so much like that and et and the goonies and stuff like that and um it was uh i think i i don't know maybe because i'm a little older than you um i think when so, a lot of those came out i was yearning for something a little darker i think I think that's why I lashed onto the Lost Boys more. So I, I I appreciated like you know the fact that it was R-rated and it had more gore and all that stuff and, and like the Goonies and all that you know. So I, I think that's kind of what led me down the uh, the Lost Boys trail a little more. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I I love the Monster Squad. I love E.T. Uh, I like you know the Lost Boys again now, and certainly did when I was a kid. Uh, this might lose me a lot of listeners, but you know I got to be honest here, right? I was never a fan of the Goonies. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't understand it. I don't get the oh, appeal. <laughs> thank God, I, I totally, I totally feel you. I never, I've never been. Enough. I mean, I, I thought it was fine, but it just felt. I mean, I don't know. I didn't see the appeal other than. I mean, it was kids our age. I guess you know you're kind of drawn to it initially, but the actual plot and action, I just never really drove. Drew me in. I don't know. It was I just kind of there. Dull and tonally, it's so weird. It's I don't know. I remember it kind of made my skin crawl as a kid because I couldn't, uh, could never quite get into it. I could never quite uh, suss out like what it was going for tonally. Is this you know kind of a straight movie? Is it a comedy? And the blend doesn't work as well as it does with other movies of that era. I don't think. Yeah, I think I felt like they were trying to do a kids version of Indiana Jones, but I just couldn't. It just didn't appeal to me. I don't know. Like, like I said, I don't know if because I was older, but I, I don't know. It just there are certain movies, certain beloved movies, like I never really got into, but I kind of just keep quiet because I know it's in a popular opinion. But that's definitely one of them that I'm just like, eh. If people start talking about the Goonies, I'm like, I just kind of smile politely. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm the same way. I have friends who dearly, who are my age, who absolutely adore that movie and. I just kind of, you're right, I, I I pipe down and I just, you know, the entire time I'm like, I don't understand what I don't understand about that movie. I just, I don't know. And plus, I mean, I, I think part of my uh, 
my annoyance with that film was that it begat one of the worst video games I ever played in my life in the 90s. Did you ever play The Goonies 2 by any chance? I did not, no. <laughs> Horrific. Horrifically bad. Worse than the Friday the 13th game, if you can believe it. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I remember renting the Friday. I, thankfully, I didn't buy the Friday the 13th. I just rented it, rented the game, and I just like, what does it do? I can't figure this out. It's just, I, I don't know. It was, I, I just, I'm just glad I only spent a couple bucks on the rental. It's terrible. Same here. Same here. Now, uh, you know, uh, and again, so thank you so much for choosing The Lost Boys and giving me a reason to, uh, to revisit it for this chat. And yeah, it, it's funny, even from my memories of the movie, both good and bad, and, you know, my uh, all my previous thoughts on it, you know, the, the one thing that hit me immediately watching this film again that I don't think I'd really considered before was just how gorgeous it is it is a beautifully made movie it's beautifully shot it's super stylish and you know that music in the opening you know this was really joel schumacher kind of at the height of his powers you know just after um saint elmo's fire just before uh flatliners i think a few years before that uh long before nipples on the bat suit but um he really shot the hell out of the movie and made like this really really gorgeous gorgeous film and um I I don't think it had occurred to me before, like just just how well made the film is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, I think you know it's it's kind of a cult film, so people kind of dismiss it as a cult genre film. But I mean, it really had a lot of like good things going for it. I mean, like you said, it looks great. Um, the music, even though it might be dated, it really like propelled the whole movie like i like i said i had the soundtrack and everything i i, I wasn't really even into that sort of music but i went on the, the, the soundtrack and, and um you know I, I think i went back when i watched it uh, again this past weekend um i went back and watched i listened to the commentary and i it, i realized that it, the uh cinematographer was actually the same guy who did like raging bull and taxi driver what that kind of lens uh yeah I had no idea. It was that that's kind of why it looks so great. It was just like they had some really great people uh working on it. Um I mean Schumacher is great too, I mean of course, but um the cinematographer is like an, an Oscar nominated guy and um and I think um the um they had Diane Weiss who I think just this was like her first movie after winning an Oscar uh for Hannah and her sisters. So they had like, you know, these great people in the cast and everything and all the young cast members who, had, who still were, you know, up and coming, but they would go on to do great things. Um, and, uh, and even the, um, I, I looked up the, the makeup guy too. He actually went on to win Oscars for like, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and, um, Benjamin Button. Oh, was it, uh, like, you know, Greg a lot Cannon, of great maybe? people working on Yeah. Exactly. Oh my God, I had no he idea did the, they worked on it. The, the, the vampire effects. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean there were there were a lot of great people working on this. So yeah, I mean I think it really they really pulled it off. I mean considering the what was probably a pretty small budget. You know, I don't think there was anybody who expected this to be a blockbuster or anything. But so I mean they had a lot of uh, great people behind the scenes. You know, it's funny, too. You're right. I mean, they probably did have, like, a, a, a relatively small budget. And yet, you know, looking at the movie, 
they they had enough, you know. I mean, looking beyond the cinematography and how well made the movie is, and you know, I, it just looking at the production design of the film, you know, it's pretty incredible too. I uh, I love that the vampire's lair looks like a mini version of the Sawyer clan's dwelling in Texas Chainsaw too, you know. Uh, you know, but it's it's a even for being like obviously like a a movie with a you know a, a probably a restrained budget, it's still a big looking film and. Watching it again, you know, it kind of served to remind me that I really miss these sort of mid-level horror films that aren't massive cg you know, uh, but aren't micro-budget indies as well. I kind of miss 80s horror movies that weren't huge in scope, but still had a budget for great sets and cool effects and, you know, great soundtracks. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of movies in the 80s and even the 90s. I, I miss... I miss Dimension. I miss Dark Castle. I miss studios throwing a, a, a decent amount of cash at the genre, you know. And uh, I don't know. It just seems all too rare these days. So it was nice to go back and rewatch The Lost Boys and be like, oh, yeah, this is what horror films could be back in the day. Yeah, yeah. It seems like um, nowadays it's kind of like I think it started with uh, with Bloomhouse and stuff. They, they kind of it's, it kind of seems like nowadays they want to see how cheap, how little they can spend on our movies so they can brag about how much, you know, they're making based on the, the versus the budget, you know? So it's like, I mean, they still make, you know, good movies and everything, but it's still like kind of seem more, uh, they seem a little more obsessed with, you know, oh, we only spent $1 million on this entire movie and it made $30 million or something like that. It's like, Okay, that's nice, but you know, like you said, I, I kind of miss the kind of mid-range, you know, movies and um, that you know had like supernatural elements that required some sort of you know uh, makeup effects without having to resort to CGI and all that stuff. And then you know, like with with the Lost Boys, I mean, they didn't need a whole lot of you know effects, but I mean, what they did was was really well done and the, the vampire effects were just kind of, you know, it was just like kind of a, a heavy brow and some, you know, colored contact lenses and some fangs and stuff, but it was really effective. And uh, I think it kind of colored the Hollywood's uh, vision of a vampire was from then on. Cause I think, you know, from, from that point on, that's kind of the template for, for a lot of the vampire movies you see is just kind of like, we're not going to make them too, I'm not going to make them too, like, human, like, you know, they're just a guy with pointed teeth, but we're also not going to make them too, um, you know, demonic and, and monstrous. We're just kind of make them have, like, a, you know, kind of a heavy brow and some, some colored uh, contact lenses and stuff and just kind of let the performance carry the way. So I think um, The Lost Boys was really, a, I think, ahead of its time as far as that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, it... It had the money to do those effects. It had the money to do the wire work for the fight at the end. And, you know, the money for some, you know, larger set pieces and pyrotechnics when they needed it, you know. And uh, and now, you know, I I just remember being a kid when, uh, well, I just graduated high school. Oh, my God. I, I think actually as we're recording this, it is the 20th anniversary of the Blair Witch Project. And I remember what a big deal it was that that movie was made on such a low budget and it made so much money. And I think you're right. I mean, now with 
the way horror is right now, it seems like those movies are the norm. You know, the Blair Witch Project wouldn't stand out, at least so far as the production goes, against a lot of movies that are currently being made today. And I love a lot of those movies. You know, I love a lot of the Blumhouse movies. I love a lot of the A24 horror films. But, damn it, you know, sometimes I want a house on Haunted Hill. Sometimes I want a 13 Ghosts. Sometimes I want a Lost Boys, you know? And uh, it seems like those movies are sadly getting rarer and rarer. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, the, I, I do love a lot of the small indie films, like you said, but, but yeah, it does feel like kind of the the mid-range uh, major studio horror movies are kind of being squeezed out of the window. They, they kind of have kind of abandoned them in favor of the or just letting the the smaller you know studios have it basically like you'll have like maybe you know a couple you know a couple like this summer I think and maybe like an Annabelle and like a you know the that alligator movie or whatever that's coming out um, uh, crawl crawl but um but yeah <laughs> but yeah it's um <laughs> I mean yes. <laughs> Oh God, no, not Crow. No more, <laughs> no remakes of Crow, please. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it seems like they kind of are like, ah, oh, we'll just let eight twenty fours of the world have it. I think. And I, uh, and you know, some of those movies are pretty great. But yeah, I do miss. I miss the movies with a bit of scope because Crawl, I mean, it's, you know, even for the big, uh, you know, alligator stuff, it's a one location movie, you know, uh, uh, Annabelle, you know, is great, but it's essentially a one location movie. Um, a lot of them. I, I love movies that have a bit of scope to them, too. And Lost Boys, even for not being a massive movie, a huge movie, it certainly has that even down to the, um, you know, right to the opening of the film. You know, uh, when the family arrives in town in Santa Carla, I love how it kind of opens up that world immediately by so sort of deftly introducing the, uh, the various cultures which make up Santa Carla, even it's, as it's set to, uh, what is it, the, the Doors song, uh, People Are Strange, you know? Um, I just, I, I love how, you know, the world seems kind of expansive even as it eventually just settles on our small group of leads and goes from there. But um, and curiously, I just mentioned People Are Strange. That's not the first time that Jim Morrison figures into the film. You know, what's with that big picture of him that features so prominently in The Vampire's Lair? Do you think that's just a uh, kind of a stylistic choice, or do you think there was another reason that Morrison kind of looms so large in the background of the film? Well, I, um, like I said, I just uh, listened to the commentary a few days ago, and Joel Schumacher was doing the commentary, and he actually mentioned um, The Door. It was kind of an inspiration. I think he was... He was more talking about the people are strange, but I mean, I'm sure it has something to do with the, the big picture too, but he was saying how he thought uh, Morrison's um, combination of like sex appeal and um, fascination with, with mortality and death and stuff kind of um, fit into the, what he was going for in the movie basically is just thought that if, I guess if Morrison was alive, he could fit right into the, the Lost Boys clan and, have like dangly earrings and a big mullet and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I think he uh, he saw him as kind of a kindred spirit for the for whatever the um, the style and the 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 themes he was going for. Okay, very cool. I do love that. I it just it's something that struck me watching the movie and 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 uh, me uh, watching it again this time. You know, after I hadn't seen it in about oh good god, nearly two decades. But um... yeah, and then then in like. Uh... <laughs> And then in like in uh, Corey Hames' room, he has a big uh, 
like a Molly Ringwald and a, and a Rob Lowe poster on the wall. Like, could this movie be any more 80? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm curious if it's on his wall, too. Um, I think I read somewhere uh, just in doing prep for uh, for this chat that uh, Sam was initially meant to be a um, uh, a girl. And, uh, you know, the, uh, somebody sort of made the leap that the film's sort of uh, theme song, you know, Cry Little Sister, would have been regarding that Sam character, you know, at least from the point of view of Michael. And I'm wondering, like, I wonder if that's true. You know, you mentioned that you listened to the commentary. Do they talk about that at all? And if so, like, I I wonder how much of that is held over in the character that we still have, you know, uh, in, in the actual film. That's, that's interesting. I didn't hear anything about uh, gender, but I did hear um, about age, like the original script, everyone was supposed to be like a kid. It was more like a Goonies type thing. It was like they were like eight and ten year olds, that kind of thing. So it was like uh, Joel Schumacher was saying he initially was going to turn it down because he didn't want to do a kid's movie. But then he thought about it some more and it's like, oh, what if we just aged everyone, you know, five or ten years and made it more of a teen movie? So, um, yeah, I, I don't remember hearing anything about the genders, but yeah, I mean, I definitely thought it was interesting that it, it turned, it was originally like a real, like, legit, like kids on bikes movie where it was like, these were supposed to be like really like supposed to be like a PG rating movie that sort of thing. Like, I guess they were taking the lost boys from, from Peter Pan, you know, literally like these are really like little kids who we had become vampires and we're growing old and that sort of thing. So that would have been, <laughs> I don't know if that would have worked quite. I mean, it would have been interesting to see cause you don't really see, you know, a horror movie just with like kids. I mean, I, I don't, frankly, I don't even know how much of a horror movie it really would have been in that, in that case, but um, it would have been interesting to see, you know, anyway, that, you know, they really were like even 10 year old with like vampires as vampires and that sort of thing and how that really would have worked. Um, but it definitely wouldn't have had the the edge, I'm sure, of, of how it out. No yes. sex scenes. <laughs> no, no doubt. <laughs> or that one uh, that one great one between Michael and Star in the middle of the movie, which is so so very '80s. I think it takes the '80s crown from the sex scene <laughs> in Top Gun, surely. Um, <laughs> or oh, maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Uh, that's <laughs> that's another movie I watched as a kid, and I just I never understood the appeal of Top Gun. But uh, I need to revisit that soon. I think, especially with the sequel coming out. But, uh, but yeah, but you know, I, I going to that title, uh, you know, The Lost Boys. It's surely a nod to Peter Pan and the fact that David and company, you know, as vampires, they never age, never grow up. But I wonder, do you think are there any other parallels to be found between the two? Do you think you know who? Uh, in this case, who would uh, who would Peter be? Do you think would he be David? Would he be Max? Uh, who would Wendy be? Would that be Michael or Star or both somehow? Or do you think kind of uh, the movie as it is resists that sort of uh, you know drawing parallels you know too closely to Peter Pan and it's just sort of a a simple title, kind of a nod to the idea of the Lost Boys. Hmm. It's a interesting thought. I hadn't really thought about it that deeply, um, but I mean, I. Now I have to rack my brain about uh, what Peter Pan was about. <laughs> but um, I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I don't know. Peter Pan might be David, that he's kind of the leader of the Lost Boys. And like, 
he kind of is trying to recruit people in. Um, I don't know. I think um, it's an interesting thought. I didn't really thought about it that much, but I mean, it's. I, I just thought, you know, in general, I think that the whole concept is, is a the whole parallel is, is, is a cool one. It's a cool concept of you know taking this um, this literary classic about you know kids that never grew up and, and, and relating it to vampires and like I was putting a you know a real dark spin on that kind of um, dream world where you know not growing up is like you know kind of a cool kind of thing that's like you know oh that would that'd be great and turning, giving it a dark turn as, as vampires and make them kind of monstrous and not such a, not such a desirable thing because, you know, in order to maintain your, your, your youth, I guess you have to, to feed, you know, kill other people and that sort of thing. So I, I thought it was an interesting uh, parallel to, to, to begin with. All right, I'm going to set aside uh, everything I was going to say about my feelings on uh, Grandpa being... Uh, Captain Hook, um, but um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, but I, you know, talking about David, you know, I, I love the fact that you know, one Kiefer Sutherland is fantastic in the role, but I love that he's obviously evil, and you know, as an actor, you know, Sutherland is obviously having fun, you know, playing him, like he's he's chewing the scenery a bit, he's just enjoying the hell out of playing that guy, but you know, David is never really. He's never really a mustache-twirling villain, you know. He rarely wants to kill our hero. He just kind of wants a pal, you know. And his death kind of has that angelic lighting, you know. Cry Little Sister hits the soundtrack for about the dozenth time. It, the whole sequence kind of attempts to make us feel something for him, you know, that he's just kind of a wayward youth and that this all wasn't entirely his fault. And even Michael's reaction to David's death, uh, spoilers for a 30-year-old film people, if you're out there, I'm so sorry if I ruined The Lost Boys for you. But, you know, I, you know, with Michael, there is actual regret there. And why, why do you think we need to feel sympathetic toward David there? And why are vampires almost always sympathetic, do you think? I, I wouldn't say always, but I mean, more often than not, it seems like we're meant to feel something for them or relate to them a bit. And I, I wonder why that's the case. I think of all the cinematic monsters, vampires are the most human. Um, typically, you know, uh, you know, especially in a lot of the older movies, always, you know, when they vamp out, it's really just like they grow some fangs, basically, but they still otherwise look, look just like you and me. And so, um, and they're, you know, kind of from, from back from the Dracula um, sources, they, they're kind of, they're, they're charming, you know, they're kind of, you know, people who will hypnotize you one way or another, either through their charm or through their supernatural ability, and they kind of draw you have kind of a, a charm and a, and a sex appeal, and they're, they're you know, you could think that they're just, you know, just like us, except they, you know, have a particular diet they have to stick to. Um, so I, I think, you know, vampires in general, that's why, kind of why they're so popular and they lasted so long that we kind of see ourselves in them. And and like you said, yeah, Kiefer is great in the movie. And even though he's ominous and he's got that, you know, kind of a deep voice and, 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 
you know, a menacing meaner um, about him. He's also, you know, kind of calm and he's like sort of, you know, even though he kind of hazes, um, uh, what's his name a bit, he, he uh, Michael a bit, he um, is welcoming him into his family. He wants them to be part of them. So he's, he doesn't seem, you know, you know, completely evil and, 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 and you know, spoiler alert, he, he, he's not really the person behind the whole plan to, to you know, draw him in. He's, he's kind of obeying the orders of, of uh, the real head vampire. So he's, um, you know, like I said, he's kind of, he, he is sympathetic and he's kind of, you know, he's, he's just like all the gospels, they're, they're just cool. So you kind of are drawn to them. You're like, oh, oh we, they're not like monstrous, you know, beings and, and stuff. So you, this whole rock and roll, you know, um, look and the, the long hair and the earrings and stuff, you, you kind of, you know, look up to them. You kind of think, oh, it's cool. I mean, it's too bad that they're eating people, but they look really cool doing it. So, so yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, you even though you're rooting for the good guys, you, you kind of feel a little bad for for the uh, for the for Kiefer, especially and, and the bad guys when they get killed. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned that Max is kind of behind the plan anyway. I thought it was interesting to have the. Uh the real villain, as it were, be somebody from an older generation, you know? And when you look at David and the fellow Lost Boys, like, you know, I, you know, their fate is kind of forced upon them, you know, by, you know, Max, as it were. We have to assume that that's what happened, you know, before the movie actually begins. And, you know, in in their case, they are the villains, but, you know, they, they hurt people, sure. But, you know, it's because they were hurt themselves. And, uh yeah, I just I don't know. I, I watching the movie again, I was like, you know what? I I <laughs> when I watched it the first time, I was only seven or eight years old, so I'm I'm looking up to all these characters as being older, and you know, and because they do bad things or whatever, they're they're obviously villains. But now, you know, watching it, you know, being decades older than those characters would have been, I look back at it and I just kind of think, you know, they are uh, they're kids. They're just kids who were uh, you know taken advantage of, and uh, you know, it makes me weirdly feel for them more than I, I, I think I did initially. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you could really, you really could look at it like on a, on a serious note. Cause it's, it's, it deals a lot with, you know, missing children and, and children who are on the streets and stuff. And like you said, the, the opening shots with the, the people are strange playing. It shows a lot of kind of street kids um, who just, I don't know if they're homeless or they're just, or they're runaways or what, but they're kind of, look kind of destitute and they have a whole a shot of like a bunch of missing kids posters and that sort of thing. Cause I guess, you know, the town has been um, overrun with vampires who are killing kids and, and or recruiting kids or whatever. So, um, I mean, you really could see it, you know, from a really serious point of view in terms of the, the whole uh, runaway kids, missing kids, ankle and kids who are being taken in and manipulated by, by adults and to do you know heinous things so it's it it does have a dark edge to it if you want to look at it like that yeah, absolutely and you know you mentioned the uh david sort of drawing michael in you know as kind of like part of the family and i'm thinking about that great scene where uh where all of the boys sort of audition michael you know in a weird way kind of like seeing how he fits in with them and uh 
I don't, but it uh, maybe this is just me, but watching it again, it's something that I'd never considered before with the previous viewings. But it almost plays out kind of like a uh, <laughs> kind of like a seduction scene of sorts, maybe even more so than any scene between Michael and Star, almost, you know, with the exception of the actual love scene. But, you know, I'm thinking like vampires and homoeroticism kind of go together like peanut butter and jelly in some tales. And I'm wondering if it's just me or, you know, are are we totally meant to think that there is something kind of there between Michael and David beyond like, say, brotherhood? And if so, I I mean... (sighs) Well, I'll I'll just stop there and ask, like, if, uh, you know, I have other thoughts going beyond that. But, I mean, do you think that that was intentional or do you think that I'm just crazy for thinking so? Or what is your read on that? Um, I mean, I, you could certainly make a, a case for that, I would think. I mean, um, Michael uh, drinks David's blood. I mean, he kind of takes part of him inside him and, and, and kind of you know, starts to become like him. So, I mean, there's kind of an intimacy there. Um, and, you know, David is like um, very, like I said, the part of the whole um, vampire mythos is being seductive and, you know, hypnotic and drawing people in. So, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone of the opposite sex. I mean, it could definitely um, be someone of the same sex. I mean, I, I know... I believe Joe Schumacher is gay, so I mean, he, he, even though I think it probably wasn't written that way, and the studio probably didn't want it to go that way. I mean, I can I can certainly imagine that Schumacher might have lent a certain uh, level of, uh, you know, um, some some hints or some some inclinations that you know it might be a little you know homoeroticism in there. So um, I. I can certainly see that. I mean, it's the whole uh, at the end. They kind of, like you said, they they seem drawn. They seem hesitant to kill each other. Like they they were, you know, fighting for survival. That's why they were killing each other. But they they really didn't want to. They kind of were still drawn to each other. Were still upset at the the thought of the other person dying. So there was a deep deep bond there, definitely. All right, and if so, then then you know I. <laughs> uh, this is probably a stretch. Forgive me, people, if I'm I'm reaching too much here. But again, this is just you know what occurred to me on a rewatch after twenty some years. But you know if that's if there is something there, then you know in in the the sort of main plot of the film, that's obviously kind of a bad route for Michael to take because David is a vampire who, you know, is going to be a destructive sort of force in his life. But Star isn't, you know, she's only a half vampire. She's looking to be cured. So she kind of represents a healthier relationship for Michael to pursue. I don't know. I'm just wondering if the film in some way was kind of like, again, this is probably a stretch, but almost like, you know, in a very minor way, like kind of like demonizing homosexuality a bit, which would be more than a little strange given that, as you mentioned, Schumacher is a gay man or am I completely off base here do you think uh, I'm willing to believe that I am it's just something that again struck me on this viewing of the movie <laughs> I yeah I mean I don't know if it kind of makes a statement one way or the other I mean but um, I do know that what struck me watching it again was the I thought the relationship between um, Star and Michael was actually pretty boring and limp like it was like yes. the, those were 
the two most boring characters in the entire movie. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like okay, right. if they get together, fine. If they don't, I don't really care. But like, it was really all about the people surrounding them. And so, like, the relationship between Michael and David was much more interesting than the one between Michael and Star. I just was just kind of like, okay, let's get this love scene out of the way. You know, it's obligatory. You know, it's okay, they are attracted to each other, fine. But it's they really are kind of the blandest characters in the entire movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I mean, I would welcome, you know, some something to spice things up and <laughs> homosexuality, whatever, or I don't know, but it's just, you know, it, that's what struck me. It's like, okay, these are really dull people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Romeo and Juliet, this is not. Uh, it seems like it's, the relationship between those two characters is almost an afterthought, sure. I mean, um you know, and yeah, that really hit me this time around too. That it's just kind of like you know, it, it's almost. You mentioned obligatory. It's the plot demands that these two characters be drawn together. You know, and uh, and I wonder how how different the film might be if you completely removed Star and you know the younger the child vampire from the uh, from the plot. You know, would it change it drastically? Do you think would it change it at all? I I, I don't think it would. I think this story would essentially be the same. What's interesting, though, again, uh, going back to the commentary, um, when it was written as little kids, there there was no star character. There was um, was like boys, like the lost boys. So, um, so there was no like love story going on um, in the original scripts. I, it, it, I mean, I, I guess they, like you said, they, they it was didn't really need her per se. I don't know how, how different the script was, but I mean, they obviously found a way around it. So, I mean, I, I think, um, I think having her, even, even though the, the lead couple were, was boring, I do think it was a good way to, you know, draw, um, Michael into the, that fold. So like, I don't think, you know, this group of, Viking punks would just naturally appeal to him to like go hang out with you know without her there. So she at least is a way for him to excuse for him to to start going hanging out with them and being drawn into the vampire world. So at least on that level, narratively speaking, I think she she served that purpose. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I can totally see that. They need a uh, there needs to be a lure or a siren definitely for him. So. Yeah, I, I okay. So you mentioned you listened to the commentary. Do they say anything about all the comic book talk in the film? Because um, <laughs> you know Corey Haim, that that sequence where he's walking through and he meets the Frog Brothers for the first time, all of the comic book talk amongst the kids is just kind of painful. You know, they're talking about how many copies of Batman fourteen are in existence and why you can't place certain Superman comics with others. And it just feels like an older dude with no idea what comics are talking about comics through kids, you know. But I but I will say, you know, being fair, the movie really sort of commits to having comic books be a part of the film's fabric. You know, what with uh you know, a comic being essentially the tome that Sam consults when dealing with the uh the Frog Brothers and sussing out just what the hell's going on with all the vampires in the town. But I'm wondering, was anything mentioned about the importance of comic books to the, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, again, the fabric of the film? Not The only thing I remember them talking about comics was just the fact that they shot it in a, in a comic book store and that 
the owners of the store were were nice and helped them out and stuff like that. So I don't think they they don't really I don't think they really took into consideration the actual uh, content of the the comics or you know comics as a as an entity as being a, something that was integral to the story. Um, but but it did. I, I'm not a I'm not a comics guy, so I don't know anything about you know what they were talking about. But but it did strike me. It, it always struck me like it struck you as like. This doesn't sound like <laughs> this sounds like mumbo jumbo. Like they just kind of threw something in to to kind of make it be known that he knows his stuff or whatever. And so they're like, "Oh, he's you know, he's okay. So we can <laughs> we can protect him because <laughs> he knows about comics, that sort of thing." So yeah, it, 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 that's one of the scenes that I always was, I kind of cringe at when I watched. <laughs> yeah, same here. And I and uh, going beyond that, this is. Uh... All right, I did say I really like the movie, and I do really like the movie now, and I love that I've gotten the chance to revisit it, and I, I'm glad that my opinion changed on it, and I look forward to my next viewing of it down the line. I do, but uh, I hate to say anything directly negative about any particular one or two people here on the show, and yet this show may very well be how I set down certain thoughts with some sort of finality regarding movies I love or don't. So I have to be honest here and not merely be overly positive. And with that, I'll say, man, I don't like the frog brothers. Um, or really just Edgar. I don't, I wish I did. It's mostly just Corey Feldman. I hate his performance. I hate, I hate his voice and what he does with it. I just wish he'd made better choices than he did with that character. And I, just wish the Frog Brothers weren't a part of that story. There, I said it. I, I feel better. If you remove them and the Sacrilege. overly... I know. I If you remove the Frog Brothers and the overly comic aspects of the film that come with them, I honestly think that it would be a stronger film. I, I am... Am I a bad person? No, I, I can certainly... I can see where you're coming from because I... There are... It, it's a little. I, I in general, I don't love them, but I do think they add to the story. But I do also agree that there's a little too much of them in terms of all of the one-liners. Like every scene, every line has to be like some sort of little joke or whatever. And it some of them land, but some of them don't. Um, the one when I was younger, uh. you know, I, I thought most of them landed, but as I'm watching them again, I'm like, uh, that one's kind of <laughs> cringy there. So. Yeah, I mean, I agree that there. I think there's a little too much attempt to insert humor in there, but I do like them in general. I like the fact that they take things so seriously. Like they play it like just like this is like you know the most serious thing ever, and and to them it is. And the funny thing I think is that even though they're kind of buffoons. They're right the whole time. They're like the only ones who <laughs> have figured it out from the start. <laughs> they they seem goofy and everything, but they have it all figured out. I mean, they know that there's vampires. They know um, how to kill them and everything. I, I don't. I kind of am curious as to what got them to that point. Like what happened to them that they are aware of all this? Like do they go around habitually fighting vampires and all that stuff? But but I I, I think you know. I like the characters in general, and, I, and in defense of Corey Feldman, um, the commentary did say uh, Joel Schumacher was saying that they instructed him basically to uh, look at like Rambo movies 
and try to act like that, basically. <laughs> so in his defense, he was kind of steered towards kind of a goofy, like, uh, caricature type of performance. So that's kind of where that whole deep voice and kind of stupid, you know, uh, <laughs> comes, comes from. <laughs> he even brings so, it yeah, into I the mean, sequels, you know, decades later, though. He's a grown adult. He could have made another choice and been like, you know what? The guy eventually <laughs> matured. But no, he does the same damn thing, the same voice as an older man, which makes it even oh, cringier. I don't know. Yeah, All I'm saying is I, is the Monster Squad could kick the Frog Brothers' asses. I'm just throwing that out there. I, okay. <laughs> even for being younger. I don't know. I, yeah, I will say. I, I don't. Uh, I, was just, I, I, I don't even want to think about this. Honestly, I I try to wipe those from my mind. (laughs) (laughs) And I am, you know, I I do know that as far as fandom goes, like I am in the minority when it comes to the Frog Brothers because, you know, those two guys are, you know, horror convention staples. And they are the, uh, you know, weirdly enough, they are the iconic characters that carry on the franchise beyond that. Not only in the, uh, the two sequels, but... You know, there have been two different comic book series, and, you know, it it just seems like, you know, even more than David and Michael, it seems like the Frog Brothers are the ones that, you know, kids who grew up during that era sort of, like, hold close to their heart, you know, and that's uh, that's kind of what drives the Lost Boys fandom in a weird way, which I never would have expected, but but here we are. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I like them, but I don't love them, like, some people do like I like I said I think are a little much sometimes and and I I I can't see a movie run by just them like they, I can't see them as the lead. they're they're perfect as like ancillary characters that kind of come in as the comedic relief you know that sort of thing but yeah I I, I wouldn't want to see a whole Frog Brothers movie at all yeah <laughs> you know it's funny though I you know there was uh, I mentioned the follow ups. Uh, Apparently, there was going to be a sequel called The Lost Girls, which would have featured a uh, a returning David, which would have been interesting. I mean, part of me thinks, like, how the hell could he return? But then, you know, being a Hammer fan, uh, you know, I'm like, well, of course he returns. You know, somebody dribbles some blood on his corpse and boom, he's back. But, you know, I think that would have been really interesting to see. I, I totally would have. I kind of wish that it did exist so I could go back and revisit it now. Yeah, I think that would have been interesting. Um I think it could have been maybe something like the craft or something, you know, or kind of a, something like that. It would, it would have been an interesting kind of thing with the, the whole female teenage angle and stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if the, I don't know if they're still planning on that, but that's, it's hard to recapture the lost, the magic of the Lost Boys because it's so tied to the '80s. So, I don't know if anything I don't know you kind of would really have to totally reinvent it to really have it kind of capture any sort of magic I don't know if I I don't know if it'd be even good to even tie it to the lost was frankly because you just kind of live trying to live up to that um, level of fandom I don't know if you could really do that because some things should be left in the decade that they came from because it's just so like it's so 80s it just you can't go back and recapture that. I mean, like something like Stranger Things, I think does about as good a job as you can in terms of recapturing that decade. But I still, I don't know. There's a certain level of inherent cheesiness that you can't you can't recreate. So <laughs> I don't know. If they did 
sort of cool. I think I don't know. It might be best to just retitle it as something totally separate. Kind of you know go from there. Now, with that said, did you see the uh, the two direct-to-video sequels that we eventually got in the uh, was it the mid aughts I think. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. Yeah, they were thoroughly forgettable. Like so much that I really can't, can barely remember what they're about. I just remember a bunch of motorcycles or something. Just you know, like the, the whole like more more modern motorcycles, like the Yamahas or whatever. And uh, I just, yeah, it just didn't <laughs> didn't do anything for me. It was really, it was really glossy. Like like I said, it's so. The original is so 80s that, I don't know, it, trying to redo it, I mean, I guess they redid it, and they, I mean, I guess they did capture the glossiness and the, tried to recapture the hipness, but uh, I don't know if you can really just, you can't just try to be hip and, and you're hip, like, you know, so the Lost Boys, the original Lost Boys was one of the rare things where, you know, they, you could tell they really tried to be cool, like, like a lot of the actors the, were just like models. They weren't even really actors. And, and they were just kind of going for a look and stuff. And then Schumacher was really great about crafting the, the whole look. And he was kind of, cause he was kind of in tune with the, the pulse of the moment coming off of St. Elmo's Fire. So he was kind of in tune with that whole brat pack sort of uh, appeal. So he was able to capture it. But in general, I think when you really try to go for coolness, I, I it usually just shoots yourself in the foot, I think. Yeah. And I will say, though, uh, there were two comic book series based on the uh, the film. Uh, the first one came out like, uh, I think it was right before the first sequel. It acts as kind of a, I don't know, an in-between quill set between the events of the first two films about the Frog Brothers and, you know, sort of the intervening years between the films. And uh, But it was all right. Um but there was another that just came out a few years ago that's actually pretty great. It was written by um, Tim Seeley, the guy who created Hack Slash, which is a great comic book. And it featured uh, female vampires as the villains. And it even had the, uh, you know, there are loads of great nods to the original film. You could tell it was written by a real fan. And uh, it even features the saxophone guy from the first film's opening as a vampire <laughs> slayer, which is pretty great. Uh, yeah, if you get the chance to check it out, it's uh, it's totally worth a read. But but otherwise, I guess you know the closest thing that uh, we're getting to another follow up. Uh, I'd read that there was going to be a fourth film at one point, but eventually, you know, the uh, the production company folded, and so that never happened. But apparently, there is going to be a CW TV series based on the uh, the original film, which could be interesting i don't know i i'm i'm definitely up for checking it out but i just uh i think you're right though it's such a product of the 80s that i i think it just kind of exists perfectly in that time and maybe you know i mean they can try rebooting it and maybe it'll work but i wonder if if it's not just best left to that decade yeah i mean i tend to think so i mean i i'm i'm open to i'm not one of the kind of people who just automatically poo-poo any sort of remake or reboot or anything. So, I mean, I'm, I'd have to see it, but because I remember um, one of the best um, horror TV shows I've ever seen was The the Exorcist that, yes. that had two seasons a couple years ago. And, you know, when I first heard about it, I was like, eh, but I mean, I watched it. It was great, like, from beginning to end. So, um, 
open to, you know, that sort of thing, I guess. I don't know. The CW kind of scares me, but <laughs> I guess uh, I guess it'll be along the lines of the uh, uh, Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, Riverdale type of thing. Um, so, yeah, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, I think we're just about at our time. Uh, can I ask, do you have any uh, final parting thoughts on The Lost Boys? Um... I mean, it's great, but looking back at it, you know, after so many decades, uh, I, I do, like I said, it is interesting to look back at it and, think, and see, kind of see its flaws, but still appreciate it for, for what it is. I mean, it's just a, it's just a blast and it's, it just encapsulates a time that, you know, when I was at a certain age where I was just, you know, ready for that sort of uh, uh, rock and roll vampire <laughs> MTV glossy uh, whatever you want to call it I mean it was just it hit me at the right time so it was something that just really um, captures the air I think and like I said it's it's something that I don't know if you can really go back and recapture it you just kind of look at it enjoy it for, for what it is it, uh, great little time capsule of the 80s. Yeah, I agree. Now, uh, where can folks find you at online, and uh, what can they keep an eye out for from you in the future? Well, my website is blackhorrormovies.com. Uh, like you said, I, I kind of just review horror movies and look at them from uh, the perspective of, of a, a black viewer and um, just look at their representation of black characters and that sort of thing. I kind of, it's you know, can be a serious topic, but I, I like to... Uh, keep it light and uh, add some humor in there. So you can catch me on there. You can catch me on Twitter. at uh, My handle is Blackula. So um, just, you know, check it out. All right. Thank you again so much for being on the show. And thanks for choosing the Lost Boys to uh, to talk about. I don't know that I would have revisited it uh, anytime soon otherwise. So I'm glad I... I was given that chance, and I'm, I'm glad you sort of uh, pushed me in that direction because, I, like I said, I wound up loving it again. So thank you again. Great. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It was fun. All right, and thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comments section below. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I'm at Jinx1981. And until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach. All the damn vampires.